What are Death March projects? Welcome to episode number 37. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Georg Lure, and this is the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. You get know-how, tools, processes, and more surplus information in this podcast, or in a nutshell, I give you my best for your success in embedded systems projects. Already at the very beginning of this podcast with episode 5, I have talked about projects and problems. In this former episode, I have talked about the warning signs if your project runs into trouble. If you don't remember or haven't ever received or listened to it, it's at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 5. Today, I wanted to go one step ahead. I wanted to talk about projects who has just started or to begin to start or are already in deep shit. In 1999, I bought a book. It's called Death March, The Complete Software Developer's Guide to Surviving Mission Impossible Projects. It's written by Edward Jordan. I wanted to refer mainly to this book from the content perspective and also from the different aspects it highlights, and it has impacted me a lot during that time. It has become some kind of a Bible with uh, some kind of very special and particular place in my bookshelf. Everybody of us has some kind of understanding about the term death march. It's from the military, obviously, and it's indicating a task you have a good chance to not stay alive. And the same can be if you take a project in civil life in which the project members are working 13 to 14 hours each day, six to seven days per week for months, there is a good chance to lose people, but there is also a good chance to fail the project itself. In this episode, I wanted to explain what exactly a Deathmatch project looks like, how you can identify it, and what general decision you have to make if you face a Deathmatch project. When, in a second episode... I wanted to give you some general guidance how to tackle deathmatch projects. As just mentioned, I have to split up the amount. It's simply too big. And I do not want to bother you guys with 90 minutes of my talk about really ugly issues. The dropout rate might be tremendously high, and that's not my intention. But my intention, and that's something I wanted to highlight here, last week in the evening, after a very bothering and exhaustive day, I found a very nice feedback mail in my inbox. Nikita Seletnikov wrote to me, thank you so much for your podcast. I have found it by accident, and now I'm a big fan of it. It feels so real and alive. Real examples, real experience, real problems, real people. Your podcast is exactly what I needed. <laughs> First of all, Thank you, Nikita, for your very kind words. As you know, it's my intention to give you something out of practice into practice. It has, of course, also some kind of very ego egoistic aspect because as more people know what I know, as less I have to tell each of them in separate. And even more, we can provide better results together if everybody's on the same level. And second, your feedback and in the discussion with you guys, I find the topics and the drive to continue. For the others also, do not hesitate and reach out for me and drop me your thoughts. For today's episode, you'll find, as always, the links and additional information in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 37. But now, let's jump right into it. Stay tuned and be inspired. Well, 
First of all, we need some kind of a definition for the term death march in project work. Of course, it's something like a forced march, but by which or by whom and by what is this force provided? We have several constraints. So currently I have selected four different constraints you might face if you are running or detecting yourself to be in a death march project. These are quite good indicators to see, yes, now it becomes really serious with your project. So let's start with the first one. It's if you observe that the schedule is compressed to less than half of the amount of the time which was originally estimated, this is a good indicator. And this might happen due to several different uh, facts. So, for example, there is some kind of backward planning yeah, happening. That's, and you start with the end date. I have faced that in uh, 2000, as I was joining the first time the telecommunication industry, it was the first time the, the WCDMA Node B base station was planned, and we have had a time to market somewhere in 2001, and when we have simply planned backward and said, okay, we need five months of testing, we need three months of preparation of the hardware, and so we, we, have, we have come from the very end and we have started from the very beginning with the hardware because it has had to de be developed from the very from, from scratch. And then the time midst in between, that was the squeeze time which was indicated or which was remarked as this is the development time for the software. If you have looked at the project plans, you have seen, okay, uh, the hardware time gets constant or is constant and also the testing time is constant. And now we started to, to grow because we simply detected, oh, there are some problems with the hardware. We have to enlarge that. And also testing might be a little bit more larger. And in parallel, we said, okay, good. But the middle time, that shrinks. And that, that, that was, the, it was the software development time. And finally, we detected we have had to develop the whole software of the whole Node B station in something like two months. And that was definitely not possible. It was far less of half of the estimated size. It was something like the estimated amount of was something like one year. This is a very common form of indication of a constraint to identify a DEFMARCH project. What's the second one? A second good constraint is if you observe that the staff is reduced to less than half the number of people normally assigned to a project of this size and scope. This is very often triggered by some kind of naive belief in new tools or methods. You, you might have observed it by yourself. Well, the guys are stating, oh no, we get from the waterfall model, we change from the waterfall to agile. And agile, it's announced and it's always communicated that you get something like 50% implicit savings. So thus, now let's take this saving already in the front and say, okay, we'd use the staff already now to 50%. And this does not run, guys. Sorry. But it's not possible to do that. So finally, at that point, it's a good indicator that you are running or that you are facing a DevMarch project if your staff is reduced to less than half or to equal only the half of amount of people you originally would know, at least. Third point. Your budget and associated resources are cut in half. That's often caused by that there is some downsizing and other cost reduction measures. 
I have observed it several times where development activities were moved to some low-cost countries, low-cost in some kind of quotation marks, and we are saying, no, no, the guys are only costing the half, so it means you can reduce the budget. Nobody has considered that these are rookies and you don't, they don't know anything and you have to introduce that and you have the overhead of transferring all the details when you suddenly have distributed teams and virtual virtuality and all that stuff. And it has a great impact to reduce the budget. It has a great impact on the staff. At the moment, you will discover or detect that you need a very particular specialist. For, for example, I was joining several, several um, projects in which um, the serial rapid I.O. bus, that was the original high-speed serial bus between digital signal processors, meanwhile also to, uh, be used for MCU to DSP and vice versa communication. But you need specialists. You need really good specialists on that. And we are not growing on the trees. We are not standing in front of you and begging for work. You have to pay them. You have to really pay them. But you don't get them if you cut the budget in half. So you will only get juniors, some rookies. And yeah, this will not have a good impact on your project schedule. And additionally, there might be also things like if there is a budget reduction, there are no travel costs overtaken. You don't get the hardware which is needed for testing, for building and all that stuff. You, need, you don't get the storage you might need and you might also not get the lab space you need. And there is also, last not least, there is no free pizza by the project manager when you have worked over the weekend. Okay, then fourth constraint. This time we don't cut in half, we double. If you detect that the functionality, the features, the performance requirements or other technical aspects are doubled at least. So that could be also something like you get only a, a hardware with half of the performance you required. You only get half the amount of storage or RAM on your designed or dedicated hardware. They say, you have requested 8 gigabyte of RAM. Sorry, you only get 4 gigabyte of RAMs. These RAM devices were much more cheaper. We have chosen that. And or you get a more cheaper CPU, CPU. You don't have eight cores; you only have four cores of them. And of course, with reduced frequency, with reduced clock frequency, or we very, very often see very that's that's a very really interesting part. We've reduced serial connectors for debugging purposes. So something like your our quality, high quality software is that good. You don't need debugging approaches. It's, it's self-explaining. It's self-running. That's high stability uh, um, software. Oh my gosh, that's, that's definitely nonsense. So you always, in the very beginning of this kind of embedded software, you need a very unique, you need some kind of hose, some kind of snorg into the system to get you the gory details out of this damned not running system. And there, a serial connection is worth, it's, uh, it, it's like gold in that situation. Or you have, for example, also you get a high-speed bus you need it for communication between the different devices on your board or in your system, but you don't get the sufficient switches or similar things. So you, we are not connected in the regular way, we are connected in some weird, very artificial, very special way for you, and you can't use... Uh, you can, can't use standard software. You have to use particular software which is untested and new. And Okay, that, that's a definite mess. Or 
you might have no hardware support implemented. So, for example, you don't get the floating point devices, you, e, you don't get appropriate DMA transfers, you have problems with the caches, you small, or something like that. And there might be all simple, the requests to the team also work twice as hard. You see, four different constraints indicating a DevMarge project. Let's come to the point. Why are DevMarge projects happen? Why do we see this kind of projects? It's more or less ridiculous from an engineering perspective. You say it, it cannot happen, but it happens. It happens every day. It happens all over the world in every company, independent whether it's small, medium, big size, over, overly big sized, independent. And I have several reasons why we do observe DevMarch projects. Let's start with the first one. It's politics. There might be a new C-level um, manager, there might be a new company strategy, there might be a new vision or mission or something like that. You suddenly come to the point that someone decides we have to change things and you find yourself in a DevMarch project. Half of the resources or double the requirements, so really strange. Or... That's the second point why DevMarch projects might happen. There are naive promises by the marketing or by the senior executives or naive project managers. How often do I have observed things like, wait, some, sometimes the guy simply states something. You say, hey, 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 hold on. That's, that's not the way we can do it. No, no, no. But he or she has said it. And someone has received it. Someone has heard it and nail went down and say, okay, let's take that one. And then you already know, that will cost an additional thousand hours of work. Maybe it might be even impossible to do it. And on, in, the in the contrary, there might be also a third aspect why deathmatch projects happen. That's the naive optimism of the youth. So something like, that's easy, we can do it over the weekend. And I have to admit... Um, that some of the things I'm meanwhile really astonished uh, that some of the guys I have the pleasure to work with are really like that. So we have this kind of drive, we have this kind of knowledge and understanding. We can do things over the weekend. But I, I mean that fast, not that they can do and work over the weekend. Everybody can work over the weekend. But yeah, you, you see what I mean. Or you understand what I mean. But the the point here is that it only is dedicated for a very particular, very small, very limited aspect of the whole system, of the whole project. If you have a bigger focus, one dedicated person does not make any difference. Sometimes it might be because it has a big leverage, but you will run in the next person which has not that drive, not that performance, and then you get stuck again. So, the fourth point, the fourth reason why you might run into DevMarch projects is the startup mentality of rookies and entrepreneurial companies. We are simply digging pure gold. That's at least what we expect and what we think about. And they think we can do everything and if I say the world should rotate vice versa, it will rotate vice versa. Yeah, and sometimes it looks exactly like that. Unfortunately. Combined with the fifth reason, DevMarch projects happen due to the fact that there is some kind of Marine Corps mentality. Something like, I have heard by myself, real programmers do not sleep. What do you want to go at home? You all know everything at home, so please stay at the project. It's much more interesting. Uh, sorry, what? 
<laughs> that cannot be the case. Yeah, it, it's it's not the thing I want to hear in the project. Maybe there is something, especially with young startup mentality, there might be guys you can convince them with that kind of approach from if if you spend them the pizza and you see that's that might be the case with the with the formal reduction of the cost that if that is dropped away then you might be really really in big problems so do not sleep and stay on board combined with startup mentality might be a good chance to run a deathmatch project and let them happen but finally you might not come out of them successfully Okay, let's have the sixth cause of why Deathmatch projects happen. That's very often it's an intense globalization caused by the globalization of markets. Uh, we have seen it with the smartphones. We have seen it with other aspects. Uh, very, very often we have the situation that market that former former local markets or national markets have become global markets. And suddenly you have competitors who are really, really much cheaper, with may maybe with a limited quality. Like, for example, the, the you have to imagine the biggest comp the the comp the biggest company. No, I have to raise it in a different way. The biggest manufacturer of excavators in the world is not a German company. You might imagine because Liebherr is a quite big company. No, it's a Chinese company. So and these are they have simply started very late, but they have grown tremendously. And this is something like Leapier can have now to participate in a competition. We were national before, and we haven't had any kind of competitors before. And seventh cause why deathmatch projects happen: there might be an intense competition caused by the appearance of new technologies. Nokia can tell you a song. It, they can compose a very long song out of this difficulty. An intense competition caused by the appearance of new technologies. The first iPhone, everybody laughed about it. Hey, what's that? <laughs> I don't have real keys on it. And what, what does it mean? It's nonsense. Nobody wants to have that. Three years later, okay, Microsoft taking over. And an additional two years later, we have vanished from, from, the, from the Earth's surface. And nowadays, you have to look whether you find a regular mobile, with, which is not a smartphone, yeah? Okay, then let's have an eighth reason for Deathmatch Project. That's the intense pressure caused by unexpected government regulations. Especially in Germany, we have observed that there is this CO2 reduction, the, uh, the carbon dioxide reduction uh, in, the, in, the, in the air pollution and in the exhaustion of, of, of vehicles and machines and companies and factories and so on. And this is something we wanted to reduce. And there was, from, from yesterday to today, there was some kind of, of law release. We, we issued some laws and they said, okay, you have to do that. And suddenly you can kick out things. And at the moment, Volkswagen is facing also some kind of uh, government pressure here and government regulations because we have... You, you know the story. Okay. Let's come to the last point, why deathmatch projects happen. That's unexpected or unplanned crisis. For example, you have something had... The guys who are a little bit older, you may, may remember... Uh, the year 1995, 1996, and suddenly someone was popping up and saying, hey, 
we will change in 1999 to the next year it will be 2000. For all of you guys who have realized the software representing the year as a two-digit number, you will run into a small problem, don't you? Because it will switch, it will take over from 99 to 00, zero and that might cause some problems in the date difference calculation, doesn't it? Yes, it has had, and there was a big rush for that. There were even uh, there were predictions that, that industries will crash due to the year 2000 problem. Uh, but finally we managed. It was also an unexpected crisis, definitely unplanned, was the Fukushima catastrophe. And you remember that, what happened there? Japan shut it down their, their nuclear power plants completely. So suddenly you have a problem in the nuclear, nuclear power plant industry. You have a problem in the alternative energy industry. You have worldwide, you have a problem. In Germany, we have, we have just prolonged the, the operation of the nuclear power plants. Then we have cancelled it again. And now we are, we are hanging uh, law, lawsuits for that. Uh, whether it, who has to pay for that? And Yeah, it's, it's a big mess. But this is from my perspective. This is the most appropriate, the most, yeah, let's say, acceptable cause why DevMarch projects happen. Unexpected crisis. Okay, now let's come to the point, why do people participate in DevMarch projects? I think this is something you often cannot even avoid. Really, you're finding yourself suddenly midst inside of them. You are not deciding definitely, hey, that's a DevMarch project. I want to join that. That's amazing. It's fun, yeah? No. You, on one day, everything was fine and suddenly things change. And when, yeah. And it might happen that alternatives are even more disastrous for you. So that depends on where you are, in which industry you are, what experience you have, what knowledge you have, what role you are overtaking, all that jazz. And there might be also some kind of naivete and optimism inside. So we will manage that. We will do that. I will achieve that. And also the alternative might be simple unemployment. And you say, no, I, don't, I cannot afford that. I, I cannot do that. I have to stay employed. And therefore, the risks are high for DevMatch projects, but maybe also the rewards are high. That's, of course, the very, um, yeah, the very interesting thoughts sometimes the guys have um, that the rewards are, the rewards are really good. And there might be also the Mount Everest syndrome. So everybody has to go to the Mount Everest. So it's the highest mountain in the world. So And nobody wants to go to the second highest mountain, but must be the highest mountain. And there might be also some kind of future advancement. If you stay in the, in the if you participate in the DevMatch project, there might be a good advancement in the future. And of course, last not least, there is a definite escape out of the normal bureaucracy. Definitely. Yeah, you will have, you will have uh, action the whole day. No, no worries about that. So, to summarize this story, why DevMarch projects happen, how we are defined, and how do people participate in DevMarch projects, it might definitely sound pessimistic or cynical, especially for younger listeners in the audience. So, Guys, I'm already working 30 years in this embedded in this embedded software area, so I have seen a lot of things, and it hasn't stopped over all the time that DevMatch projects uh, take place. It's always there, and all parties are engaged: big, mid-sized, small companies, young and senior engineers, experienced and rookies. It doesn't matter. 
They are all in. You might not agree with me, and you might also not agree with the situation, but however, it's all real nonetheless, yeah? The key point is simply to understand your own motivation at the beginning of a death march project. So the moment you, you detect it, you, the moment you see that there is something ongoing, as, as mentioned, half the budget, double the requirements, and so on, when you can make a rational decision. So you can say, I want to join, or I look elsewhere. Very often, rational decisions are not easy, as often death march projects are initiated during periods of great corporate stress and emotion. So it means that you might be swapped away or swept away by emotions. But emotions from your colleagues, emotions from your managers, whatsoever. I have observed it several times. There might be a feeling in the air in the project that something is really going wrong. And when you might come into the mood of pessimism, you might come into the mood of everything is going down, zero, day zero is arriving, the, the extraterrestrials have landed, <laughs> things like that happen then. On the other side, I'm fully convinced that the Death March project is something you should have done once in your life. It's the same. There are several things you should have done once alive. So, for example, you should once alive you should get uh, drunk. Yeah, you should have raised a boy. You should have raised a girl. You should have started your own business. Uh, you should have planted a tree. Or, and last not least, you should have spent the night at jail. Besides the last one, I have done all of them already. So, from that perspective, I have some time. But there are some some goals to fulfill. Okay. So now, let's come to the point, what can we do? First of all, there is a definite need for a decision. You need to decide, stay or leave. Will I stay in the project? Will I leave the project? Let's have a look at the leaving. It has a lot of benefits. First of all, you have to imagine you alone will not save the project. You, don't, you do not have even the chance, even if you have the biggest leverage of everybody. No, guys. I haven't seen ever that one person is saving the project. I have seen it one time in particular, but that was a situation. It was a very small project, and I was doing some kind of machine control, sitting at the site, sitting at the, at the workshop floor, and repairing the machine, and every pressure was on, was on my shoulders, and here, definitely, it was only up to me, but this is a one-man project, and then, yeah, okay, you might be in the situation. But then, but then you have already decided to stay at that project. Regularly, you cannot save the project. And very often, you do not have even the power to do it. The only thing you can do, that's true for sure, you can save your ass. If you leave, you're off the hook. In that case, you also can mitigate the pain, which is combined with a regular death march project. You have seen this 13 to 14 hours, six to seven days a week, uh, no free weeks, no free days, all the pressure, permanent control, permanent communication, permanent emails, whatsoever. It's not sufficient to only put a blaster on it. Yeah. So you have to make the decision, you have to cut it off. But it has also some disadvantages if you leave the project. You, you might survive, of course. But it might be also happen that you will learn a lot in the project 
in a deathmatch project. You will learn definitely a lot. You will get tons of experience in a quite short amount of time if you are that attentive. And if you are really effective, you search for a new job right after the deathmatch project because you have the best experience. You can say, I have survived. I have done my very best. And if you concentrate on doing your best, you should highlight that for your new job and look in, par in parallel. The only problem is the hours. You won't have the free time to look for it. You get completely exhausted and you are only happy if you can sleep and fall down in your bed and don't think about anything else. And getting a free day is ridiculous. You won't get it. Very often, however, also the situation changes. The Deathmatch project suddenly changes. The project gets a major attention by some sea level and suddenly you get the missing resources, you get the persons you need, you get the hardware you need. Uh, yeah, it, you get a well-earned boost. Or it might also happen, sometimes caused by or triggered by sea level that the project is smoothly cancelled in some way. So suddenly you get the note that something is a little bit derived, a little bit postponed, one week, two weeks, three weeks. And then afterwards, it's uh, prolonged. So, and then, uh, I, I mean, the postponing is prolonged. And then suddenly you get the note that there is no resuming, at least not until the beginning of next year. And it's some kind of still death. So it's, it's never resumed. It's not officially cancelled. It simply vanishes somehow. And there is also another way to get off the hook here. So um, that if the company is sold out. Uh, you get a fresh and new and interesting task. I have participated in several companies which were bought in the meantime. And when you find yourself with a different project, within the time frame of one or two months, you are in a different project, you are in a different group, you are in a different, um, different working tasks, you have potentially different technologies in use, whatsoever. It's all things have completely changed. And also you're off the hook. And that's also some kind of disadvantage if you will leave the project. There might be so many things happen. But I think the major or the main point, if you leave a project due to an upcoming or already started deathmatch project, is you lose your well-known environment. I mean, first of all, you know the persons. You know the processes. You know the guys. You know who to ask for what if you are doing work like that. So if you are only concentrating on your very niche part, it might be replaceable for yourself. So you can simply move away to someone else. It's no problem for you. But if you are more engaged in the manner of communication, of connectivity and networking in, in the area of the company, then this is the bread and butter you need for your work. And this will be dropped away. You have to consider very carefully, is this the way you want to go? Because you will lose that. But sometimes it's the way to go. And you have to take that and you have to weigh it and say, okay, it's weighted a little bit longer, uh, it, it weighted a little bit heavier, and therefore I will leave the project. Or, and that's the second way, or the second possibility in this decision, staying or leaving, is you stay. But this time by intention. 
And I don't mean something like, yeah, I have not even considered it. I have not thought about that. I simply have stayed because I have always stayed. That's not the way I, I have in mind. It's a rational decision. And you know your motivation. You know exactly why you are staying even the Deathmatch project has started. And that's exactly the point. We will continue in the next episode and here why the next steps will now be if you have taken this, the, the decision or if you have made the decision to stay in the Deathmatch project, you have to think about things. How can I survive it? How can I sustain? How can I go through the death march project how can i provide my best without getting killed during the all the whole uh, the whole journey and hereby you need four essential parts you need to know about negotiations you need to know about people you need to know about processes and you need to know about tools and technologies I will be really happy to get your feedback for your personal experience in, yeah, in participating in Deathmatch projects. Just comment in the show notes of this episode or send me your feedback via embeddedsuccess.com slash feedback. I'm definitely really, really excited to hear about your stories. The show notes you'll find as usual at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 37. This was the first episode I split in half so you get double amount of the load in half of the time. You get half of the story in double time. I, I, I don't know. So it's simply something like, I think it, it's sufficient enough now. Good. Uh, therefore, if it's the next solo episode, I will continue with, the, with this whole story. And I'm really excited to have you again on board to where we can continue talking about how to survive, how to sustain Deathmatch projects. By the way, I would be really happy if you share my episode and not only this one with your buddies, colleagues and also project members. I have received feedback via Twitter and LinkedIn that the guys are amazed to have found this podcast by recommendation. So it's a small action for you, but it might give a big boost to your buddies. Therefore, please share this podcast episode in your social networks. This was the provoking 37th episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I'm Georg Lora. Thank you for listening. <laughs>